Hey, Nathaniel, how are you? Hi, Michael. Very good. What I want to do is just get a little bit of background, right? Because there's a whole bunch of other things that I want to talk about first, but context is always great. So, Okay, sure. So I first uh, moved to Asia in uh, 2011, uh, initially to take care of the Malaysian and Singaporean market for Gameloft, which is a mobile uh, game publisher, uh, leading mobile game publisher. And so back then we had a pretty uh, small but yet uh, well-running operation in, in Southeast Asia and especially in uh, Malaysia and Singapore. So I had the chance to grow the operations in those two markets uh, and then to be in charge of the Philippines also. So from the first uh, years, I was able to see different stages of growth, different stages of uh, readiness for uh, mobile apps and for tech in general. Uh, so that was really, uh, really interesting. I spent uh, four years with Gameloft. Uh, we grew a lot during those four years all across Asia Pacific and uh, specifically in, in Southeast Asia. Um, I was then approached by the SIC company, uh, SWK, Australian group, pretty famous. Uh, they made uh, two major acquisitions back in uh, 2014, JobsDB and JobStreet. So I was brought in to, to kickstart uh, and to build from, uh, from scratch all the education platform across Southeast Asia, uh, combining all the users and all the people in the database from JobStreet and JobsDB. So the idea was to really give an opportunity for the, all the professional adults uh, all over uh, the region to to learn, to to develop their skills, and in turn to be able to apply for better jobs on the platform. So to create uh, a virtuous circle between the job boards and the education platform. Um, moving on to the end of uh, or the middle end of 2016, I I, I felt that after all these uh, these years of experience in Southeast Asia. Uh, it was a great time for me to, to start my own company or my own companies now uh, after all these years of uh, precisely starting new branches, new opening new countries, uh, starting new concepts for those big tech companies. I was really excited to, to start one of my own. So that's a little bit of the background of what led me to start my own companies. That's awesome. And where are you from originally? Yeah, sorry. So before moving to Asia, uh, so originally I'm French. Right. Um, I had the opportunity to live in uh, a number of countries and continents around the world, um, namely uh, Latin America, North America. I had a scholarship to do my MBA in the US. Uh, so I finished my MBA there in uh, 2010. Um, and before moving to Asia, I worked from, uh, I was based in Portugal uh, in charge of uh, America's markets. And through that first experience after my MBA, I discovered Asia, actually. And that's what also gave me the, the real uh, interest in, in moving here more permanently. So that's why I, I really uh, seized the opportunity when it was offered to me by Gameloft to move to, to Malaysia back in 2011. So this is the interesting part to me, right? Can we talk a little bit about this discovery of Asia? How did that happen? And what was it about Asia that was so interesting to you that made you say, I have to take this opportunity with Gameloft? Yeah, for me, it was really the overall energy of the, the continent. Uh, the opportunities in those markets, really massive, especially when it comes to uh, new tech and mobile uh, applications like what we were doing with Gameloft. It was a very vibrant environment. And, and from my first trips, even before being with Gameloft, uh, for my first business trips in Hong Kong, uh, in China itself, I, I really felt that energy and that fast pace, uh, which was really aligned also with my character and, and my willingness to, to make big changes, big changes uh, pretty fast. 
so that that's really was one of one strong appeal for me. Yeah, and is entrepreneurship something that you'd always been thinking about? Was this did you always consider the fact that I'm just going to learn a whole bunch of things, get a lot of experience, and then start my own company? Or did the bug kind of bite you when you saw the opportunity in Asia and then had that experience at GameLoft and Seek? Yeah, I think it's a, it's a combination of both because I, I really I really wanted from a long time to have my own company, but I felt I would learn so much within those big groups uh, in the first place and that also I could really build a stronger network before jumping. Uh, so, so that was an important part. Um, and I think also that it's really a matter of uh, context and opportunities that I, I perceived here and the gap in the market for a lot of tech companies who are willing to establish themselves and grow in Asia, uh, yet cannot find the right partner or cannot find the right people uh, with that kind of very hands-on experience and at the same time the strategic vision. Uh, and I think you need those two things if you want to succeed in, in this part of the world. Um, so. I guess it's a combination of both to answer your question. Yeah, no, and I really like this idea, right? Just being able to have that sort of strategic vision to build. I think it dovetails really nicely into what you decided to start. So let's move there now. Sure. So as I mentioned, I, it's really because I perceived that there was a certain gap um, between uh, the ambition and the opportunity, the ambition of certain companies, whether from Europe or US or Australia, um, and the opportunities here in, in Southeast Asia and Asia Pacific, which are tremendous. The problem is how do we get these people started in the right way? How do we get to be successful in the region? It's not just because the GDP is growing that you can throw in the market any product or that you can approach. You know, you need to build a very solid growth strategy for each uh, business, whether it's a mobile app or a new uh, software or a new platform for education, right? And also uh, concerning the fact that the need for a lot of connections and experience uh, is, re is required. I felt that it could be great. Uh, so we had the opportunity to start already with some clients from the very beginning because our value proposition was uh, very simple. Strategic consulting and growth execution. So by growth execution, I mean we roll up our sleeves um, and we go out there and pitch the solution on behalf of our clients or with our clients if they if they can travel here to Asia and we get the business started we get some first contracts for them in the region so there is already uh, a business flow that can justify in a third phase uh, potentially a, a permanent establishment in the region um, so that was really the the first the first idea is to at the same time guide you and actually get the business going get contracts on the table. Right. And this is, I think, the real differentiator, right? You mentioned rolling up your sleeves and just, it's almost like you're working for the company. This growth expansion and growth execution is something that's really differentiating in my mind. One of the reasons why I really like what you guys are doing. And I also believe, and I'd love your opinion on this, is that most businesses get started not because somebody has an idea, but because somebody has a necessity. And what I mean by that is, you know, your contacts back in Europe said to you, okay, Nathaniel, you've now been in Southeast Asia for four years. You've traveled the rest of the world. You understand the market gaps. And we're dealing with our market here, but we want to expand there. 
just how do we do it? And that turns into a business pretty quickly, I think, right? Yeah, absolutely. I started also by surrounding myself with uh, very smart people coming from even bigger tech companies like uh, Google, IBM, and also consulting companies like um, Accenture, uh, publicists more on the digital side. Right. So I really started with a, a few very talented people, a mix of Asian talents and European talents at the beginning. So that gave also our, our DNA of being able to, to really comprehend uh, both cultures and whether it's from Europe or North America, and on the other hand, uh, all the Asian cultures, but also the ability to explain to our clients, to our partners, uh, all the differences between each market, each country here. Uh, because from Europe or from North America, sometimes Asia is considered as one big market, but as you know, the reality is much more complex. <laughs> and so that's what also people appreciate it, is our ability to go in the detail, but to be able to communicate to both sides uh, very clearly and and to make them successful at a very fast pace. Right. That's really what it is about. Right. So you've just brought up another really great point, right? And two things that I want you to talk about in slightly more detail, and that is this sort of culture of diversity that you've introduced is something that I think you can't kind of bolt on later. So you can't have a bunch of people that are similar working in a company. You have to start at the beginning and have a whole bunch of different perspectives. Right? So I'd like a little bit more of your thought process there. But also this concept that Asia is not a one monolithic space. And frankly, even Thailand itself or Malaysia itself is not one monolithic space. And I'd like to understand better how you explain that those two things about building that culture of diversity first, but also how Asia is not monolithic and how you explain those differences. To I think it's a, it's a very important one, uh, the diversity. And that's something we started from the very beginning uh, with the idea to combine those talents. So uh, I mentioned we started with some pretty senior people. Then we incorporated into the team some very bright, uh, young junior people as well. So there was also a, you know a, some difference in terms of the magnitude of the experience and also difference in terms of origin from the, the team members. Uh, I think that's something you want to do from the very beginning. Uh, of course, there will be some cultural alignment and so on. But the advantages we have, uh, we had and we still have, I think it's also because all the non-Asian people in the team, or most of them, have already been in Asia for quite some time. So they have been exposed to different countries. Uh, whether emerging countries or more mature markets, more mature countries. And so that ability of, you know, of course, being from Europe for some of us um, and having lived in Asia for a long period of time, that really helps. Uh, and that makes a lot of difference because we can, on the one hand, communicate very easily with our clients who are based, uh, as I mentioned, in Europe, in Australia, in North America for the most part. And on the other end, with the markets here, with the different companies that will uh, be, uh, you know, enjoying to work with the solutions of our clients. And for that, we need to have also this uh, finesse and we need to have a lot of uh, people from here in the team. And that's very relevant for us. It was very relevant for us from the very beginning to have this mix. So that's for the first part. As far as the, the diversity within Asia itself, uh, I mean, you know it uh, very well. It's, it's an extremely interesting part. And, and you are right also by saying that each country in itself uh, can be a, a real uh, uh, you know, diversity uh, and a very interesting market to explore also for the diversity of its people, right? If I take the Correct. example of Malaysia, for instance, with you know, three main ethnical groups, um, it's a very interesting country where you can test some different products uh, and have in one place, in one space, the feedback from very different uh, groups. 
and that makes it very relevant for certain brands. Uh, I remember even during the, the years with uh, Gameloft, for instance, we were doing some tests in Malaysia, global pilots, because it was a very interesting market with a strong appetite for new technology, a great diversity, uh, good infrastructures, and so on. Uh, so we always walk our clients through uh, this diversity at the level of each market, at the level of the continent itself, because some of the missions we have, uh, we are looking right away at five or ten different markets. Uh, and the way you do business in Japan, the way you do business in Thailand or in Malaysia or in Singapore will be extremely different. Uh, so we have the people in our team who can explain those differences and who can guide uh, accordingly our clients on the path to success in those different markets. Yeah, and I think just the fact that you and your team noticed is the wrong word, but that are deeply involved in understanding those differences in, in markets and then market entry and market expansion is really important from the beginning, right? You're not, you're still, while well, you're still in a learning phase, you at least have the basic knowledge of, okay, if I go into Japan, it's definitely very different than going into Indonesia. And actually in parts of Indonesia, it's different than going into Jakarta. From the beginning, you have to understand that and know that otherwise your strategy which is key to your expansion, is completely different. And it's just awesome that you guys as a team have figured that out. Here's another really interesting question to me is, you know, you seem to have built this out in multiple countries really fast, right? What is it about scaling, not just your own business, but other businesses that want to expand into this region that you guys know so well and that's been able to sort of affect how you grow your own business too? Well, I think it's a, it's a combination of, of course, going to the, the right market with the right solution, uh, which means that sometimes there is a, a bit of a localization or uh, adaptation of the solution that is involved before we go to those different markets. And, and that's extremely important because the way, for instance, your mobile app will be extremely successful, depending on, of course, your industry. But maybe it's very successful, let's say, in, uh, in Switzerland and in Germany, but it will require some adaptation for the, for the local taste or for the, the user experience that works in Malaysia or in Thailand. So we are, we are able to provide also that expertise in terms of adjusting the product, adjusting the solution for its market. And once we, we feel that we have the right solution, the, the right uh, approach, uh, it's really about the network and the experience. Uh, so we are able to, to connect with key decision makers in a very quick and efficient manner, which makes a lot of difference. Uh, and as you know, relationship in business is absolutely crucial. I mean, worldwide, but maybe even more in Asia. And it takes time to build those relationships. It does. So, yeah. And, and so that's where the, all our clients actually save a lot of time <laughs> and eventually a lot of money by going through us. Rather than, I don't know, maybe sending someone from, uh, from the HQ who doesn't know Asia so well. And we will need a lot of time to adjust, adapt, understand, meet the people, gain their trust, and so on. Um, and I guess all of this is really also coming from my own experience. You know, when I came here in the first place, I, I, really, I really had to adjust a lot to, to learn. And of course, I made mistakes at the beginning. So I, I kind of learned myself a bit the hard way without particular mentor on the ground or what. Uh, I mean, here in Malaysia, I mean, I had great support. It was fantastic. But I had to do a lot of the administrative stuff from the beginning, negotiating at the same time with telcos, with phone manufacturers and so on. So I guess it's also from my experience that I learned that it takes a bit of time to be really efficient and productive in those markets. So having the right partner on your side, the right, uh, you know, guide, uh, the right kind of guidance is crucial to be efficient. So that's really, I think, also our 
our approach to this. Right. I mean, I'm a big believer that having your feet on the ground in any particular region is one of the most important things to being able to provide market access to others. And like you said, airdropping somebody in from another region, whether it's Europe or the United States or Africa into Asia, is just a really inefficient way to do market entry. And, and I love this concept of localization in combination with adaptation. I think when most people think about localization, they just think language, right? Yeah. I need to take, I need to, but you're right. I mean, you've chuckled, right? But it's really true. And I, I want you to talk about that in more detail as well, because mm -hmm. you said localization, but you immediately said adaptation afterwards, right? And I think that that's another very important point to make. If it's not just language, what is that localization? What does it mean? Yeah, so I, I briefly mentioned about the user experience, um, which is extremely important. And, and the user experience will encompass a lot of things, whether it's your, your flow um, as something very simple like the colors you use. Uh, you know, there are some cultural particularism in each country. There are some colors you don't want to use, some colors you may favor if you're in a specific market. Uh, it's also about, yeah, all the, the experience coming from your solution. And the fact that in certain countries, some people will expect their their flow, for instance, to to sign up for a, a specific uh, solution or or to play. Let's say if you have a competitive intelligence software to be used internally for a company, uh, maybe there are certain graphs that will be very popular in in Europe, uh, but that won't be so popular here. And you need to adjust the way you display your software, your solution to those people. Without giving here too, too many details, uh, we go into, we really go there, like, and, and we tell our, our clients, so, and we then might become our partners. We think that for this market, we need to, to change a little bit the, the, the product. We need to change a little bit the approach if you want it to work. Um, and the way we do also is by trial and error. So we will typically do some A-B testing uh, with samples of people uh, from the country and get and gather relevant feedback because we don't have the answer to everything. <laughs> so we, we may have some experience and some interesting recommendation, but we also validate those recommendations by testing and by A-B testing uh, the solution to make sure that we have the right set for the right market. Yeah, look, it's a, it's a great point. And again, you brought up another thing that I find fascinating, and that is we don't have all the answers to all the questions. And the only way to really figure it out is to test. But again, the only way to do that is to be on the ground. And you also mentioned this concept about you've had really great partners locally and regionally. And I'm always interested to find out how do you not test your partners, but how do you figure out who the right partner is to work with you? Like what's the process you go through when you find someone that you want to work with and then you finally decide, okay, their methodology or their thought processes work alongside of mine. They're supplementary or complementary. What's that process like of finding the right partner? Yeah, in terms of partner, we typically will test uh, the partnership with the first project, uh, define clearly ahead the milestones and, and the, all the objectives, where we want to go. Um, and very importantly, keep, uh, keep track of this. Uh, can be like a simple methodology such as doing you know, weekly follow-up calls, making sure that the project is going, are going in the right direction. So typically, we'll start with the first project, and if everything goes well, then of course, there is a second and a third project. Uh, so we have different types of partnerships. I mean, if you mean like companies, other companies we work with, uh, whether there is like a geographical complementarity, yes. for instance, yes. 
uh, yeah, we have, for instance, uh, some great partners in Australia and, and it's fantastic for us to work with them. So for certain missions, we will take care of the Australian market directly. For others, it's, it's great for us to go through these partners and, and we trust them. And of course, for us, it's then a, you know, very easy and, and quite natural to send, to send over some clients to them if we feel they can, they can help and because we know that they can help because they, they have proven their efficiency on the ground. As it relates to partners, do you see a pattern of failure? In other words, just behavior that you know when you see it, it's just not going to work with you. And if you do, can you just mention some of what those patterns are? Um, yeah, maybe the, the, the thing, you know, is that we really focus on new technologies. So we have, for instance, new mobile apps, new softwares, as I mentioned, new, all these new solutions we, we work with. Um, so there are some people who are more generalists of um, you know, international trade, for instance, right. uh, and we we just don't come from the same uh, ecosystem, for instance, and and that can be a reason of the facing difficulties. Uh, and I would not be comfortable sending over a very high tech client from Switzerland, for instance, or from Australia, wherever the client is from, to to a partner somewhere else, which doesn't have doesn't have in his team someone with that tech exposure and expertise and the understanding of the solution, which is crucial to the success of the mission. Right. Um, so, yeah, I would say that we need to make sure that we find partners who have uh, a particular competence in the fields where we operate with our clients. Uh, otherwise, it would be difficult for them. I mean, it's the same for me. If, if you ask me, I don't know, to, to deal with some very heavy industrial products, it's not really our key uh, our key focus, right? But we can bring into those industrial products, industrial solutions, we can bring in some artificial intelligence, softwares, uh, some mobile solution to make their all their process better and faster. <laughs> That's where we can help definitely. Right. That's but I'm key. not going to tell, yeah, I'm not going to tell someone from the heavy industry how we should operate this factory. Right. Um, so that's the important thing. And do, do you see like nuanced differences between when you introduce a startup company or a smaller company that's from Europe or from the United States that's expanding into Asia when maybe one of their best partners could potentially be an established corporate or a larger company here? How do you see that interplay as opposed to introducing a startup to another startup or a small company to a small company? How does that work differently? Yeah, so that's a very good question because we have more and more um, of this and this is really exciting. We have more and more of such projects where the solutions from our clients are actually designed uh, for big companies. Right. So we have, for instance, recently this uh, 3D immersive modelization solution uh, running on a huge gaming engine, the best gaming engine in, in the world. So you see, I'm, I'm not too far from my game of tears. <laughs> and, and this solution is really designed for uh, typically big construction companies or development companies who want to have a very innovative way to promote and present their projects through uh, actually a, a full 3D simulation that looks like a game. Uh, and with quality of design that is incredible rather than, you know, a, a, a base, I would say a basic video or a static images representing what the project will look like. Okay. It's like a moving maquette in which you can go in and out and so on. So we work with precisely for this, uh, with this client, we work with here in the region, the, the end user will be either a big development, a big developer or a big uh, construction company. The great news is that, as you know, there are a lot of things being built all over Southeast Asia, <laughs> all over Asia Pacific. So right. it's a very interesting market and people are very keen 
on looking into this kind of very of innovative solutions. So the difference, uh, of course, is that there might be a bit more people to go to for bigger companies, uh, but it's not a problem for us again because it's all about the network and the understanding of those companies. Uh, and especially once we have already worked with, let's say, a big construction company and and we brought to them a solution that really made a difference for them and they really enjoyed working with us, then the door is always open for potentially other solutions. Of course, not competing, offering a different, uh, maybe like a solution for their the digital maintenance of their building, who knows, you know, like, and, and this is something we like to do. And it's the same process whenever we work with, uh, with telcos, you know, because we've worked with telcos across Southeast Asia, across Asia Pacific for many years. Uh, and whether we come to them with very innovative mobile app or another solution that would be useful for them, the fact that we have some very positive track record, that helps, of course, for us to open the doors, go to the right decision makers uh, or the right decision maker, and, and then start with uh, maybe a pilot and then a full a full on partnership. Uh, so in many cases, we're involved in this kind of partnership. On the one hand, there is a SME or scale up from uh, Europe or Australia with great solution. And on the other end, there is a big corporation which we work with here and who is enjoying the solution we, we distribute to them. Yeah. So it almost sounds like if you have an individual success and build a track record with a company with whom you're partnering here, as long as you're not bringing, like you said, a competing product in for another one of your clients. Your ability to get repeat business as well from some of these larger corporates is actually quite high, right? Exactly, because you know, they, once you have built the trust, uh, then why you know why would they not believe that the, the new solution you bring, which is solving another problem, is going to help them? So that's the way we we approach it, and and we build those long trust relationships, uh, which is very important. Yeah, and it just gets back to that concept we introduced earlier of just being on the ground and operating in five to seven countries or however many countries it is and always kind of being there means that you're not flying in once a quarter or you know every six months and saying i have a new thing for you you're just in a constant dialogue with your potential partners and clients here which is so really powerful yeah you're absolutely right and and whether you know it's in singapore or in hong kong or kuala lumpur for instance to right. take three example um it's crucial you know if there is something someone to meet some important uh, conference going on or a last minute invitation we can be there and and to be actually there in person to shake the hand of the person and understand what they need uh, introduce them to the solution that makes a whole difference and, and that is you're right i think um, a very strong advantage we have right and i just want to touch on this just for a second because it's something so close to me but with all of the our abilities to communicate digitally whether it's chat or video chat or you know skype or even the way we're communicating now i still believe that there's nothing more powerful than face-to-face -face communication actually being in somebody's physical office being able to sit down with your partners and tell her like here are the things that we're going to do and here's why we're going to add value yeah you're absolutely right absolutely right you know some experts say that uh, 70 percent of the communication nonverbal. Uh, i don't know if it's exactly that but i know for sure that 70 percent non-verbal yeah yeah that's what some you know i i read that from some uh expert behavioral expert i don't know if it's what is exactly the percentage maybe it differs from person to person but uh regardless it's always important to have this in-person handshake and and to be able to do the demo that's that's really really crucial and, and to build the trust again spend some time quality time even sometimes you know becoming friends with your partners mm. uh, as long as you know when is the time for the friendship and the time for the partnership i don't see it as a as a problem 
uh, as long as the quality of the work and the quality of the solution is always there. Um, yeah, we, we like to be involved in those long-term, successful and fruitful uh, business relationships. So switching gears just a little bit, like what is the what is the change in how politics affects, you know, like inter-country relationships, which you have nothing to do with and you can't control? Do you sense that that's changing the way the perception of companies coming into the region um, happen or not? You mean the relationship between countries in Asia or between well, Asia and other continents? But both, right? In other words, both. the relationship between individual countries here obviously yeah. there's interplay there right so moving around in the region is important but also internationally bringing companies in com companies and relationships in from other regions into this region has that changed at all in the last four or five years i wouldn't say so much you know recently there was a an asean summit and interestingly you know also in a, i was uh, less than two months ago in australia so okay. i'm seeing a lot of efforts to improve and increase the, the commercial relationship between, for instance, countries of Southeast Asia and Australia. Uh, I'm seeing also some uh, bilateral agreements between countries in Southeast Asia and also Asian summits you know, going on with some new uh, announcements being made. Um, so in terms of relationship between the countries here, I think it's been quite stable over the years. And that's definitely one thing that foreign companies can appreciate when it comes to the safety of their foreign investment, because the, all the countries of the region are quite stable. Uh, of course, some of them are emerging countries and it comes sometimes with some challenge, sometimes with some bureaucracy. But overall, I would say that the situation is, is very uh, stable and business friendly, importantly. Um, when it comes... Yeah, you know, and that's that's really crucial. As far as the relationship between continents, and uh, of course, you know, I, I published recently a, an article in the Asian Post uh, with regards with you know some kind of competition for leadership in in Southeast Asia between the U.S. and China. Right. Uh, it's been changing a lot over the past years, and you know, we're not here to discuss politics, but no, of no, course, no. with the new administration in the U.S., the the focus seems to be quite different, uh, and the, all the Trans-Pacific Agreements, which are still valid with Canada, between Canada and other countries bordering the Pacific Ocean, right. you know, they, they are, the, the U.S. withdrawn from those. Uh, I see it as a big opportunity, actually. I see it as a big opportunity for entrepreneurs uh, who want to explore uh, opportunities here, uh, regardless of, you know, what is going on specifically in one country or another. Uh, and I see it also as a huge opportunity for European countries to really strengthen uh, their presence here in, in Asia in general and in Southeast Asia in particular because the potential is huge. And, and that's also why I started those businesses because I'm seeing, you know, and month after month we are getting new clients and people are just like, you know, opening their eyes to a world full of opportunities. And very often when they come to visit us here, they're like, wow, I wish, I wish I, I wish I came earlier. <laughs> it, it seems like there are so many opportunities here I didn't realize. You know, I was too focused on my my European market. So I was looking too much on the other side of the Atlantic. Uh, you know, there is a strong obsession, especially in countries like France, for instance, for conquering the American market, which, of course, can be a great thing to do. But you just have to realize that there are some barriers to entry, that the market is probably already quite saturated and so on. So in that regard, it's pretty relevant to to start in Southeast Asia where it will cost less uh, right. and it would be potentially faster to conquer a piece of the cake uh, than it would be in the US. Uh, so it's not like don't go to the US, go to Asia instead, but it's just like very you know, assess the different opportunities you have and don't only choose one over the other because you might lose some great opportunities, especially given the growth 
in the region, in population, in GDP, and so on. So it's, it's quite amazing. No? It is really amazing. And, and that actually brings up another really good question for me, and that is, what are some of the misconceptions or what's a big misconception that some of your clients have about this region before they get here? And once they meet you and start, start working with you, they say, oh, I didn't realize that that was so something. Yeah. Do you know what I mean? Like, what is that? <laughs> yeah, so the most common one, uh, especially because, so our HQ is in um, in Kuala Lumpur, Malaysia, which right. is a great environment with infrastructure, you know, well-organized, etc., and very business-friendly again. And so the first comment when they come, if they visit us in, uh, in Kuala Lumpur is, wow, I was not expecting it to be so developed or to be so organized <laughs> or the infrastructures to be so qualitative, you know, and that's like, I would say almost 100% of the time, <laughs> one of the first comments. Um, and that's, that a good, not... that's a good thing, right? In other words, they're surprised on of the course. upside, right? Yeah, yeah, it's always a positive surprise. So, of course, that's a great, uh, great way to start. And, and then we start the meetings. We start, you know, going meeting, for instance, sometimes governmental agencies who are promoting innovation, foreign investment. And they're like, wow, it's, it's incredible. All the incentives in place, all the how, you know, they want to help us to facilitate the business setup and so on. Uh, and they are usually quite impressed with all the, the possibilities they have here. Uh, so typically what we will do is that first we will prove the business model, of course. We don't, we don't jump to, okay, you should set up your hub here before we prove that, yes, there is a strong case. But that is, of course, very interesting because, um, as I mentioned to you last time, after the consulting and the business development, what we do is precisely to set up new entities here and sometimes to invest in them. So either on a joint venture model or to help our clients set up regional offices and being able to help them in the long term from both a strategic and an operational perspective, whether we invest or not in their new setup in the region. Um, so, yeah, it's really about the long term opportunities that they can find in those markets. Yeah, agreed. And this finally, before I let you go, over time, what do you think the biggest changes have been in that infrastructure? It's so important in this region, right, that that infrastructure continue to get built out. But, you know, between 2011 and 2012 and today in 2018, I feel like there's been a massive change, not just in the tech infrastructure itself, but also the way that the governments perceive the growth of this whole region and also like the newer companies that are here. What, what's your view on that? Yeah, I mean, it's the changes are, are so many. But just to take one simple example, I, I went to Cambodia recently and it was not even the it was not even the Phnom Penh, the capital. It was just a same rap. As soon as I walked out of the airport, I was offered, I think, six different uh, unlimited data plan wow. <laughs> uh, somewhere in the province of Cambodia. You know. Six unlimited data plan were offered to me, like, you know, for not much. Um, and the network was really good. During all my stay in Cambodia, I could very easily, uh, I mean, of course, I was not always on my mobile, but if I had to place a call or send an email, I never was short of data or and never short of coverage as well. So, I mean, that's just a simple example. But I mean, Cambodia, uh, if you look the first time, if I compare with the first time I went there, which was just after I arrived, uh, in Malaysia in 2011, and now it's quite impressive. Uh, but I would say that overall, across all those countries, what's very interesting is the emerging middle class. And, and that is something that has changed. In seven years, I feel like uh, most of the countries in the region have progressed in a way that the Western countries, uh, you know, into Western, into brackets, did in several decades. Correct. Uh, and that speed is amazing, right? Yeah, the speed is amazing. The jump, you know, sometimes they just will, they just will skip uh, one uh, type of equipment, like the family, you know, the family computer, which we had in the mid 90s, late 90s in the US or in Europe, uh, they, they went, they jumped to mobile directly, you know, right. 
we were talking about mobile first for certain countries. Now it's mobile only. They don't even bother to have uh, a computer because the mobile or the processors of the mobiles are already so strong and all the devices are readily available everywhere that they can, they can just do most of, they can do everything almost on their mobile. And that's quite amazing. It is. The speed is really amazing. It is. And now that the tools that are built even for, you know, mid to large size phones and even for tablets are just so powerful. And like, as you said, the chipsets and the processors are inside them, you know, rival things that we'd seen only two or three years ago in PCs. It's just amazing what people can get done. And it means as well that they're not wedded to exactly. certain kinds of data entry and data input and all these other things that just change the way. And that's, again, gets back to this localization and adaptation that we talked about before. And if you're just not here, you just don't know that. Exactly. You're absolutely right. Look, I feel like we could continue talking about this stuff forever. I, I, I want... Maybe the next time we talk, we can either talk to a client of yours or we can talk a little bit more about what the actual process is that you go through. But I don't want to do that today. I want to leave that for the next time we talk. Like, Think about taking a client, walking them through the process, and then explaining to them exactly how they're going to do their growth execution. We'll talk about that later. But I just want to thank you for taking the time today for just spending so much time with me and walking me through the beginning of this process. Nathaniel, thank you so much. Thank you, Michael. Thank you so much. Have a great day. You too.